Tonight we're going to cover a lot of ground, so buckle up and hold tight. We are going to start out by reading the first 10 verses of John, and then I'm going to take the rest of it up. Sorry, the first 10 verses of chapter 20, and then I'll, I'll take it by bits and pieces there. Hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. And John tells us in John 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him you may have life in his name. So let's listen to these words that John has left us and believe in them so we might find life in Jesus' name. In my uh, first year as a campus minister, we had a student named Joe that we met during Welcome Week. We met a lot of students during Welcome Week. And Joe thought we were fun and he enjoyed us. And so he thought he would come check out our meeting. And he came to our meeting, he checked it out, and he was surprised that we were Christians. Joe was a non-Christian. And Joe really didn't have any interest in going to a Christian meeting. But he thought, hey, these people are fun. I like them. I like to sing. So I'm going to keep hanging out with them. So Joe kept coming week after week after week to RUF just to be with the people to sing the songs and to go to the events. And we were happy to have him. At the end of the year, he went to summer conference with us, which is our big week-long beach trip. And he got the most legendary sunburn ever in the history of RUF summer conference. He, put, he was very uh, light-skinned, fair-skinned, and put zero sunblock on. So just imagine what happened to him on the first day of the beach. Well, that next semester rolled around, and we saw a little bit less of Joe and a little bit less of Joe. And the next semester rolled around and we didn't see him at all. And pretty soon he just stopped coming altogether. Well, after a couple of years, he reached out to me and said, Shane, I know it's been a while, but um, I've got to do an interview for a project. I'd love to grab lunch and interview and just talk and catch up. And I said, that sounds great, man. Let's do it. So Joe and I went to lunch. We did the interview. We talked about his project. We made small talk about life. And I said, hey, Joe, you know, how come you quit coming to RUF? And he said, well, you know, I, uh, I got busy. I got a girlfriend. I got busy with school. I got a job. And, uh, you know, frankly, I just felt like I didn't really need RUF anymore. And so I quit coming. I said, oh, that's sad. I said, we, we missed you. And I said, but I'm just wondering, what about Jesus? And he goes, what? <laughs> I said, well, Joe, what, what about Jesus? Do you need Jesus? And he said, well... No, you know, I think my life's pretty good. I, I like my, my girlfriend and my family. I feel pretty happy and content with them. And I feel pretty happy with where school is. And yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like I need Jesus. I said, huh. I said, what about the resurrection? He goes, what? I said, what do, you, what do you mean, what about the resurrection? I said, well, Joe, if the resurrection is true and Jesus rose from the grave, then everything that Jesus said about 
sin and salvation is true. And I said, you really just can't dismiss that. And he said, huh, I, I never really thought about it that way. So we spent the rest of lunch reading uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and just talking about the resurrection. It's my knowledge, Joe never professed faith in Christ. But what I wanted him to think about that day, and what I want us to think about this week, and right now, is that the resurrection is not something we can just be apathetic about. It's not something we can just say, well, you know, hey, yeah, the, re- the resurrection, like, you know, Jesus, friends, church, worship, that's all good. Um, the resurrection, but I don't know what I think about the resurrection. Um, the resurrection is something that matters greatly because if the resurrection is true, then everything that Jesus said and did is true. And we have to take his words seriously. And the good news is, is that what Jesus said and did comforts sinners and sufferers like us. And it challenges the apathy and the unbelief of our hearts. It comforts sinners and sufferers, and it challenges the apathy and the unbelief of our hearts. It really does bring us good news. And so that's what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to look at the truth of the resurrection, and then we're going to look at the resurrection truths. Kids, if you're listening here, three things for you to look for. One is a proof of the resurrection. Two is a story with a happy ending. And three, a person who is changed by the resurrection. So a proof of the resurrection, a story with a happy ending, and a person who is changed by the resurrection. First, let's look at the truth of the resurrection. So as we read in John verses 1 through 10, Mary, Peter, and this disciple, probably John, found the tomb empty on the Sunday after Jesus' crucifixion and death. Now, nobody disputes that the tomb was empty. The question is, why was it empty, right? Some people say that Jesus didn't die, that he just uh, passed out or he fainted. Now, the problem with that is, is that Romans were professional killers, especially the Roman soldiers, Nobody left those crosses without dying. They knew exactly what they were doing. There's no way Jesus could have faked his death on the cross. He had to have died. They wouldn't have let him come down from their life. Well, some people say, well, yeah, I mean, he died, but the disciples stole the body. Well, there's two problems with that. One is the Roman soldiers were guarding the tomb. Again, how was this a misfit band of, of hapless disciples going to get past these trained Roman soldiers. And even if they did, a dead Savior is no good to them. Jesus isn't any good to them dead. What they needed is a resurrected Savior. So some people say, well, yeah, the disciples, they saw this risen Savior, but really it was just hallucinations. They all just hallucinated these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Well, there's a problem with that too. The problem is that in no scientific journal, there's no scientific evidence anywhere of mass hallucinations. Never. Hallucinations are always individual experiences. So it is highly improbable, if not impossible, 
that all the disciples hallucinated all these appearances of Jesus and, and the 500 other people that saw Jesus after he was resurrected. So while it is hard to believe, oh, something else. Um, why, would you, why would you make up women being the first person at the tomb? Women weren't admissible in court. So if you were trying to create a fabricated story, you wouldn't put Mary Magdalene at the tomb because she wouldn't help your case. Why would you have throughout the Gospels all of these disbelieving disciples who were scared and running from the Jews? You wouldn't. You wouldn't make this story up. Everything in the story undermines this faith. It doesn't explain uh, the, the details that John put in the gospel. Like the running, I got almost laughed out loud when I was reading about the disciples running just then. Like it's just so funny to me thinking of Peter and John racing to the tomb. And I almost laughed out loud at the linen cloth that's folded up and lying there. Like those details only get in there from an eyewitness account. So the most probable explanation for this empty tomb is the most miraculous run. Jesus rose from the grave. He appeared to the disciples and over 500 other people over the course of the next 40 days. And he ascended into heaven where he rules and reigns until he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's hard to believe, but the resurrection is true. It's true. Now, if you doubt the resurrection, if, if you heard all that, and you're still like, I don't believe it. Let me just ask you to, to try one thing. Deconstruction is like kind of the cool buzzword of the day, right? Let me challenge you. Deconstruct your doubts. Spend some time doubting your doubts. Spend some time deconstructing your secular truths, which are a lot of times actually secular beliefs. And ask yourself, what if it's all true? Uh, Lee Strobel was a world-class journalist. And something happened to him that he did not like at all. His wife became a Christian. And she came home and she started talking to him about Jesus. And she started praying for him and reading her Bible. And he got mad. And he said, you know what? I'm a world-class journalist. I'm going to investigate this and I'm going to prove her wrong. And so he set out as an investigative journalist to interview and research as well as he could to prove that Christianity is wrong. And when he came to the end of his search, you know what he found? It was right. And it was true. He believed in the resurrection. His life was dramatically changed by it. And now he wrote a book. He's written many books called The Case for Christ. It was his first book. And then a lot of them kind of spawned off after that to tell his story about how he became a Christian and, and make a case for the truth of the resurrection. So if you're here tonight and you still doubt, I want to encourage you to read that book. And then as we go through the rest of the sermon, just ask yourself, what if it is true? What if all of this is true? And so now we're going to look at these resurrection truths that Jesus shares after the resurrection. He comes and he has these three visits that John tells us about. Okay. And we're going to sort of frame this in, the, the, in an if-then sort of statement. If the resurrection is true, then everything Jesus said is true. And he gives us these true, three truths. The first one is, if the resurrection is true, then death is not the end of the story. Look at verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, had lain one at the head and one at the feet. 
They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. She said, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now think back to John 14 and 17. Remember that Jesus promised the disciples that he would leave, that he had to leave, but he was going to go to prepare a place for them in his father's house. Then he would return and he would take them to himself. So here Jesus is reminding those disciples of this promise that he gave them. He told them, look, you're going to be sad. I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back to you. And I'm going to take you with me to be in my father's house. What he's telling them is that death is not the end of their story because it's not the end of his story. Death for them will be the beginning of their life with their God and father in heaven. And this truth is important for us too. For all who believe in Christ, death is not the end of our story. Rather, We have eternal life with God, our Father. As Paul said, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Our story will not end in death, but in eternal bliss with our God and Father. Because of the resurrection, there will be a happy ending to our story. I have a love-hate relationship with Ernest Hemingway. Here's what I love about Ernest Hemingway. I love his writing style. Uh, It's brief, it's concise, uh, it's vivid. I love his honesty. I hate the endings to all of his books. They always end sad. They never have happy endings. One time I was reading one of Hemingway's books. I won't spoil it because Lizzie told me last week that I spoil everything. But I was like, Lizzie, that's kind of my job. I won't spoil it. But I got to the end of this Hemingway book and I literally closed the book, threw it across the yard and said, no, no. The story will not end that way. And it made me sad for Hemingway. Because I thought he doesn't believe that a happy ending is even possible. And you contrast that with someone like Tolkien, right? You get to the end of Lord of the Rings, and what does Tolkien say? He goes through all the suffering in this world. He he. He gives it his most vivid, powerful pictures. He gets to the salvation point. And then at the end of Lord of the Rings, he says, and everything sad will come untrue. Because of the resurrection, Tolkien had hope. He had hope that death wasn't the end of the story. Because of the resurrection, we have hope for a happy ending. Um, If you have gone through Uh, any sort of suffering in this life, but especially deep, immense suffering, you need this truth. You need to know that death is not the end of the story. 
that happy endings are possible. That whatever you're going through right now, by faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in him and the resurrection, death will not win. There will be a happy ending to your story. Suffering and death are not the end of your story. That's the first thing we see in this. Uh, If the resurrection is true, death is not the end of the story. The second thing we see is if the resurrection is true, then sin is not the end of our story. Look at verses 19 through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And, they, and, and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I want you to just see the grace in this passage. Who did Jesus want to be right after his resurrection? After he has gone through the most traumatic war in the history of the world with Satan, sin, and death, who did he want to be with? He wanted to be with his disciples. And who were those disciples? They were the guys who betrayed him, deserted him, and left him for dead. They were the backsliders, right? That's a term we don't use in the church much anymore, but it used to be used a lot. The backsliders, the people that fall away from the faith. Jesus wanted to go and be with the backsliders after his resurrection. When he's talking to Mary, he called them brothers. He called God their God and their father. He visits them after his resurrection. And in the face of their sin, what does he meet them with? He meets them with grace and forgiveness. He gives them the the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember in the farewell discourse, again, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And here he gives them the Holy Spirit. He breathes it on them. And he commissions to go out and share the grace of forgiveness with others. Their sin was not the end of their story. Grace and forgiveness were. God used sinners like them to bear witness to the truth of the resurrection, to lay the foundation of the church for the proclamation of the gospel so that sinners like you and I can be forgiven as well. If the resurrection is true, then it's good news for sinners like us because it means that sin is not the end of our story. Remember last week we talked about guilt. Guilt is that feeling that I've done something bad. And we said we often experience guilt as a malaise or a discontent. It's just sort of this feeling of never measuring up, always falling short. And we talked about how on the cross, Jesus removed our guilt by paying the debt that we owed, right? All of our sin was placed on him. And by faith, all of his righteousness is given to us. It's like a bank account, right? We had a spiritual debt that had to be paid and all the righteousness in Christ's bank account came to us. Well, the resurrection is proof that that debt has been paid. One of the things that I love is paying a debt and then getting that final statement in the mail that says paid in full. 
The resurrection is the statement that our sins have been paid in full. What is the sin that you still feel guilty about? Or the sins that you feel guilty about? Where is that nagging sense of malaise or discontentment or just falling short that you continually have in your life? When you feel it, look at the empty tomb. That's the sign. That's the statement that your debt has been paid in full and that your sin is not the end of your story. Your story will end with grace and forgiveness. Jesus has paid your debt for you. So if the resurrection is true, then uh, death is not the end of our story. If the resurrection is true, then sin is not the end of our story. And lastly, if the resurrection is true, then doubt and disappointment are not the end of our story. Look at verses 24 through 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the nail marks in the, his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, uh, Thomas is often called Thomas the doubter uh, because of this passage. And I think normally, uh, at least when I thought about Thomas the doubter, and I think when we think about Thomas the doubter, we probably think about someone who was... Uh, a non-Christian, or like the modern day parallel would be like a non-Christian who doesn't believe in Jesus and doesn't know anything about him, and so then doubts Jesus. And that certainly would be a, be a doubter, but I don't think that actually would be a parallel to Thomas, because Thomas was a disciple. Thomas spent three years of his life walking around with Jesus, learning from him, living with him. He knew about Jesus. Aside from probably Peter, James, and John, he knew more than anybody else about Jesus. So it wasn't lack of knowledge that caused his doubts. And it wasn't lack of dedication. In, in John 11, after uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, they were going to kill Jesus. And Thomas said, let's go die with him. Thomas was dedicated. He was dedicated to Jesus. And it wasn't lack of asking good questions. In, in John 14, in the farewell discourse, Thomas is asking questions. He's trying to figure out, how do we get to God the Father? Right? He knew Jesus. He was dedicated to Jesus. He was seeking Jesus, and yet had, he had doubts about the resurrection. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but I, but I, as I thought this week, I really empathized with Thomas. And I think if I was Thomas, I think I would have doubted because of the disappointment. I think I would have doubted because I, I would have just been disappointed. And I think in my, in my spiritual life, <laughs> 